This is the Daily Signal podcast for Thursday, June 30th. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Doug Blair. The court decision that eventually struck down Roe and ended the idea that there's a constitutional right to an abortion was Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization. The case originated in Mississippi and was the linchpin in one of the greatest victories for the pro-life cause in more than 50 years. Mississippi's governor, Republican Tate Reeves, was instrumental in building the culture of life in his state to get to this point and hopes that this victory is the start of many more. Reeves joins the show today to discuss how Dobbs made its way to the court and what the future holds for life in America. But before we get to Doug's conversation with Governor Reeves, let's go ahead and hit our top news stories of the day. America is moving back into Europe in the biggest display of force on the continent since the Cold War. On Wednesday, President Biden announced plans to increase America's military presence in Europe by stationing two more naval destroyers in Spain, deploying two F-35 fighter jet squadrons to the United Kingdom, and establishing a permanent army headquarters in Poland. Additionally, the U.S. plans to deploy additional troops to Romania and increase rotational deployments across the Baltics, as well as strengthen air defenses in Germany and Italy. Here are some of Biden's other remarks via Bloomberg. And together, our allies, we're going to make up sure that NATO is ready to meet threats from all directions across every domain, land, air, and the sea. In a moment when Putin has shattered peace in Europe uh, and attacked the very, very tenets of rule-based order, the United States and our allies, we're going to step up. We're stepping up. We're proving that NATO is more needed now than it ever has been. And it's as important as it ever has been. Per NPR, Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs at the Department of Defense, Celeste Wallander, said, This is a significant decision precisely because of the changed security environment and the recognition that the United States needs to have a longer-term capability to sustain our presence, our training, our activities, and our support to the countries of the eastern flank. Today is Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's last day on the high court. Breyer is stepping down effective at noon after a nearly 28-year career on the court. Today is also the last day of the Supreme Court session. Breyer announced his plans to retire in January at the age of 83. He wrote in a letter to President Biden that it has been his great honor to participate as a judge in the effort to maintain our Constitution and the rule of law. Breyer is being replaced by Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who clerked for Breyer. Jackson is expected to join Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Elaine Kagan in the court's liberal minority. George Washington University has seemingly stood up to student backlash by declining to fire Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas from its staff. Following Thomas's role in overturning Roe v. Wade, George Washington students launched a petition to the school administrators to remove Thomas from staff. Thomas currently works as an adjunct professor who teaches a constitutional law class at the school. In a letter sent to the George Washington student body on Tuesday, the school confirmed it had no plans to fire Thomas or to cancel his class. School administrators wrote, Because we steadfastly support the robust exchange of ideas and deliberation, and because debate is an essential part of our university's academic and educational mission to train future leaders who are prepared to address the world's most urgent problems, The university will neither terminate Justice Thomas's employment nor cancel his class in response to his legal opinions. The letter continued, like all faculty members at our university, Justice Thomas has academic freedom and freedom of expression and inquiry. 
The letter did note that the justice's views do not represent the views of the school. The multinational consumer goods company Unilever has sold its Ben & Jerry's business in Israel. Unilever is the parent company of Ben & Jerry's and faced criticism last summer when the ice cream company said it would no longer sell ice cream in East Jerusalem or the Israeli-occupied West Bank. Now, Unilever is trying to distance themselves from the criticism that Ben & Jerry's has received. Going forward, Ben & Jerry's ice cream will be sold in Israel under its Arabic and Hebrew names. In response to the news, Unilever stock did rise slightly on Wednesday. That's all for headlines. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves as we discuss what his state is doing to advance the cause of life. At the Heritage Foundation, we believe voting is a sacred duty. It's how people express what course they want our nation to take. Given the importance of the ballot box, it's necessary to have a transparent and fraud-free system that can be trusted. This is why Heritage created the Election Integrity Scorecard. The scorecard compares the laws and regulations for elections state to state and ranks them on their security and transparency. Check out the Election Integrity Scorecard at heritage.org slash election scorecard. My guest today is Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. Governor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. It's great to be on. Of course. Uh, it was your state that produced the Dobbs lawsuit that eventually overturned Roe v. Wade, and it confirmed that there is no constitutional right to an abortion. Given that your state was so important in this process, what are the next steps specifically for Mississippi on how to handle abortion going forward? Well, I am so uh, pleased that Mississippi led the way uh, in ending uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, This is obviously a battle that has been fought for some uh, 50 years since the court wrongly uh, came to the conclusion uh, that they did in Roe, and so I'm I'm very excited. I just want to point out that that it's it's the convictions of our people that gave the elected officials the ability to fight this battle. But we also recognize that being pro-life is not simply being anti-abortion, and so it's it's incumbent upon all of us uh, in the conservative movement and all of us uh, that that are believers to come together and create a culture of life uh, in our state and across America. And really, that is the next phase of the pro-life movement is creating that culture of life. And what is Mississippi doing specifically to help cultivate that culture of life across the nation? Well, first of all, we are working to significantly improve our uh, Child Protection Services Agency. Uh, We have had challenges in the past, but uh, since I've been governor, we've invested significant amounts of money um, into that particular agency so that those kids that um, need help finding uh, foster care, that that need help finding adoption, uh, that we, we are here to help them find a forever home and a forever family. And we are also uh, making sure that uh, that we uh, work to provide the resources that are necessary for our uh, expected mothers. Uh, we have 37 uh, pregnancy resource centers uh, situated in all regions of our state. We passed what I believe to be the first ever legislation that allows for a $3.5 million for those pregnancy resource centers. So that those expected moms that, that maybe some um, uh, did not expect to be pregnant, um, that they have someone that can stand by their side and walk with them through the process and help them get the resources that they need and just generally provide support and show that there's, 
people here in Mississippi that not only love that mother but also love that unborn child, and, and let's make sure that we, we uh, are, are standing there with them. It sounds like Mississippi has a sort of bi-pronged approach to this, where there's a state responsibility to aid women going through a, maybe an unexpected pregnancy, but then also on the ground, private citizenry are going to help pregnant women go through this. Is that accurate? Well, that is, that's exactly right, because what we know is that while uh, the state or the government certainly, um, when led by uh, people like me, want to show compassion, we also know that government's not very good at, at providing lots and lots of things, and that it is the faith community uh, that is better situated to stand up and provide um, the, the support that is needed. And so we've, we've issued a challenge here in Mississippi, and we issue a challenge across America that, that churches and, and, and others in the faith community step up and, and not only help with the pregnancy resource centers, but, but help individuals in each and every community across our state, because we know that there are going to be some that find themselves in difficult situations, and we don't want to we don't want to simply pass a law because it's never been just about passing a law. It's never been just about winning a court case. It's about creating that culture of life and providing opportunities for moms and, and babies. Now, given that you have this culture of life that you're trying to cultivate, let's look at and see what some of the, the laws on the books that you're going to, to put into place now that Roe has been overturned. Some states have what are so-called trigger laws where as soon as Roe is overturned, those laws go into effect and ban abortion. What does Mississippi currently have as the legislation? Is it the Dobbs decision? Is it the Dobbs uh, lawsuit that you're sort of keeping as the law on the books? Or what are you planning to do now? So obviously the, the, the Dobbs case was about, um, and this was um, strategic, but the Dobbs case was actually a 15-week ban um, that passed the Mississippi legislature, uh, I believe, in 2018. We were then immediately sued. In 2008, there was actually a trigger law that was passed. Uh, it's interesting, and it, and it kind of speaks to how far Democrats have moved in just uh, uh, 15 short years, but we actually had a Democrat Speaker of the House and a Democrat Chairman of Public Health uh, that passed the trigger law in Mississippi. And the trigger law uh, bans all abortions with the exception of rape and life of the mother. And so uh, yesterday, our Attorney General, as is required by the statute, signified that that trigger law would go into effect, and the plaintiff in the Dobbs case immediately sued us on state grounds. And so while we would anticipate that uh, the trigger law should have gone into effect 10 days from yesterday when it was certified by the AG, uh, it is now in state litigation, and so um, we're going to have to uh, navigate our way through that litigation. Um, but once that litigation is behind us and once the Supreme Court uh, of Mississippi uh, confirms that the Constitution does not guarantee the right to an abortion, just as the United States Supreme Court has uh, recently said, um, then the trigger law will go into effect. There, you mentioned that carve-out where a woman can get abortion if the pregnancy is either dangerous to her life or if it's the result of a rape. There are certain laws across the country that do have those exceptions. Is that going to remain in Mississippi law in the near future, do you think, or will be will you be looking at removing those exceptions? Well, I think those discussions are, are ongoing uh, with legislative leadership, but certainly in the short term, that will remain uh, in effect. Certainly when you talk about the life of the mother, um, what, what you are looking at, uh, in, in my personal opinion, is a, 
person is a medical decision that has to be made by a physician because you have two lives at stake, and that's really the foundation of, of the Dobbs case and the arguments that we made is that there is no doubt um, a, a living baby in that womb, and when it comes to the effect of there's a choice to be made because of the life of the mother and the life of the baby, I don't think that anyone other than the physician has the, the expertise to make that particular decision. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we expect to see in the future as these types of conversations and as these laws are getting passed is that pro-abortion states like California will attempt to funnel uh, so-called abortion drugs into pro-life states like Mississippi. What are your plans to handle those types of situations? Yeah, we're, we're looking at, at uh, the, the laws on our books right now to, to deal with uh, those types of abortions, because obviously that that would not be allowable under our our statute, and the kind of things that that we can do to make sure uh, that we enforce every law in our state uh, with respect to to that, and 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 whatever else the abortion on demand crowd does, it's been absolutely really really surprising and shocking to me, and perhaps it shouldn't, but uh, these pro-abortion states are not just interested. It, it appears in um, offering services to individuals, but uh, it's almost as if they are advocating for more abortions. It's, it's, it's they're advocating and trying to make it simpler for more and more people to abort um, unborn children, and, and it really is a it's a sad sight to see. Now, there's something to that, that there's a difference in culture between a state like California or New York and a Mississippi. How successful do you think that you've been in building a culture of life across the country? I want to kind of reference something you you said both in this interview and you've said before in a press release where you said, despite what some may claim, Mississippi's objective was never simply to win a court case. It's been to create a culture of life across the country. How successful do you think you've been on that? Well, I think we've made progress. And I I think that, um, uh, you know, oftentimes uh, my friends ask me why I am willing to go on uh, some of these TV shows and do some of these very combative interviews. And the reason is because I believe in my heart that if we talk with compassion, we have the ability to win people's hearts and minds across the country on this issue. Uh, I, I absolutely believe that because if you if you talk to Americans and, and you ask them uh, the question, there's an overwhelming majority of Americans that believe that there ought to be reasonable restrictions on abortion. And I believe that even in states like California and New York, who have uh, some of the most open uh, abortion laws in our country, but quite frankly, uh, in in California and New York, their abortion laws are are more like North Korea and communist China than they are like the Western world. And, And so I think that even in states like California and New York, that there's a large percentage of their population that believe that they ought to have reasonable restrictions on abortions. And so the way in which they define reasonable may not be exactly the way that I do as a as a pro-life Mississippian. But even so, we can save lives in California and New York if we talk to the people uh, in those states uh, about what a reasonable restriction ought to be, that even uh, the 15-week ban that Mississippi passed, had we been successful in simply getting that law on the books and not overturning Roe v. Wade, Mississippi, as the most conservative state in the country, would have had uh, more or less restrictions on abortion than 39 out of 42 
countries in Europe. Mm. And so um, the, the California and New York laws are seriously out of touch uh, with the Western world, and that's the, the conversation that, that needs to be had in those states, and we're going to try to uh, drive that conversation. In terms of driving that conversation, does that involve more action at the federal level? Obviously, Dobbs was one of these things that went to the Supreme Court and now has national ramifications. Are you planning on doing something like that again? Well, what I would tell you is that I don't know that we have to have action at the federal level. I do think that we have to have political activism in every region of our country. And I think that uh, part of the next phase of the the pro-life movement is to continue to uh, convey to the American people our views and our beliefs and the fact that these laws in these other states, like California and New York, are so out of touch with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, how can Mississippi and other pro-life states serve as models for those states? What can they be doing right now to demonstrate that a culture of life is better than a culture that supports abortion? Well, I think exactly what we've talked about earlier, and that is uh, implementing public policies that show that we are serious about um, providing resources for those mothers that find themselves in uh, a pregnancy that perhaps they didn't necessarily want. The other thing we can do is we can make it so much easier for adoptions in our state. Um, And that's one of the things, one of the policies that we're working on is is making it easier to adopt um, one of these uh, young people uh, because we know that there are people in the faith community, we know that there are people in Mississippi that um, that perhaps are struggling getting pregnant and, and, and want to choose to uh, adopt a kid. We need to make it so much easier in our state and across the country uh, for adoptions. And, and we're looking at um, things uh, in terms of helping pay for the cost of adoptions, because as you know, it can be extremely expensive to do that. And, and we're looking at, at ways to uh, expedite the process because uh, for many uh, parents who are interested in adopting, they really want to adopt a kid earlier rather than at ages 14 or 15. And so what can we do to to make it easier to adopt that one and two and three-year-old uh, before they get into, for instance, the, the state system or the foster care system? And so uh, we also have to be willing to encourage and incentivize uh, a parents to step up and 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 be willing to to foster kids that, that do find themselves uh, in the state system and we also have to continue to uh, improve uh, educational outcomes for all of our kids including those uh, that find themselves uh, in the state system as one final question as we begin to wrap up here governor I'm curious, there are 49 other states in the union. They have wildly disparate views on where to go after this, on abortion, and all of these different topics. What does Mississippi have to say? What do they want to represent to the rest of the country? Well, we want to represent to the rest of the country that, that every single life has worth, every single life has value, and that there are people in this state and there are people in this country that care and love every single mom, regardless of whatever mistakes or decisions that they made in the past. And there are people here in this state and across this country that love every single baby, uh, whether it's in that womb or, or has, has been birthed. And so um, we want to represent a, a caring people uh, who try to uh, situate our policies in such a way 
that we create that culture of life so that that it enables us uh, to to make sure that we help and provide those who most need it, uh, recognizing that very rarely is government the best way in which to provide that help uh, or those resources, uh, but to work with our private sector partners, to work with our faith community to create that culture of life. Wonderful. Well, that was Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves. Thank you so much for your time, Governor. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thanks for having me on as always, Doug. Appreciate it. The Heritage Foundation takes the field on offense with their Young Leaders Program. I'm Evelyn Homily from Hillsdale College. I'm Harrison Stewart from the University of Virginia. I'm a journalism intern with The Daily Signal. I'm a digital productions intern in communications. For spring, summer, and fall semesters, the Heritage Foundation hosts undergraduate and postgraduate interns right here in the nation's capital to train our country's future conservative leaders. As a Daily Signal intern, I've had the opportunity to cover exciting events here in D.C. and work in a fast-paced environment with some of the conservative movement's best journalists. In YLP, interns are on the cutting edge of the conservative movement, attending exclusive briefings from heritage experts, members of Congress, and movement leaders fighting for the fate of our country. It's been exciting connecting with big names in the political world and better understanding our nation's greatest threats. If you want to go on offense with other passionate, dedicated conservatives, go to heritage.org intern to learn more about the Young Leaders Program. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. If you have not done so, please take a moment to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We read every single one of those reviews that comes in, and we love hearing your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.